Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. You know, I can imagine a family sitting around their table, about to eat their food. Maybe they have a little girl and a little boy, and the mom and the dad are excited about to eat the provisions. But before they eat, they bow their head and they thank their new God, their new Messiah, Jesus. I mean, these are early Christians, early followers of the way, and they're about to enjoy their meal together. They're holding hands. They bow their head when... The door bursts open and in come these troops, police officers of the day, and they grab the man and they drag him out into the street and they knock over the table and the mom grabs the daughter and the son and protects them and they begin to beat up the man. Or maybe they drag the woman out too and they throw them both into prison and the prisons back then were these little holes in the ground. They were horrible places. And then they were brought before that council I talked about last time, the sand. Sanhedrin, and they were told that you will be put to death for following this Jesus, the followers of the way, or maybe, you know, you're going to be tortured and beat up and you're going to spend X amount of time in prison for following this Jesus, this new religion called the way, and says there in Acts chapter 9 that Saul is breathing out threats. And it says he is breathing out murder against all the followers of Jesus. Saul, after stoning Stephen, he is in a rage and he is trying to squash the growth of the way there in Jerusalem. He is trying to crush all followers of Jesus and he is successful. It says in Acts chapter 26, when Saul, or later on his name is Paul, talks about this time in his life, he says he even went to the council and got the right to go to other countries to drag the new followers of the way or people now converting to following Jesus. He got the right to go to other countries to drag them in and bring them before the council. And it says there in Acts 26 that he would even vote in favor of the council executing these people who were following Jesus. I mean, Saul was murdering people all in an attempt to crush anybody who would follow Jesus. And man, he was so successful that the early church, they had to flee Jerusalem. They had to get out of there because Saul was so good at hurting them and destroying the church. They had to go into hiding Saul comes to the council in Acts chapter 9 and he says, listen, 
We're doing good here in Jerusalem, getting rid of the followers of the way, but I need to go to Damascus. I can imagine the council, the Sanhedrin, they looked at each other and they nodded their heads. Yes, you do need to go to Damascus because we're hearing that followers of the way are starting to establish little congregations up there in Damascus. And that people are starting to get converted to this Jesus up there in Damascus. Now, Damascus was an important city of the day. And you know what? It still is a city today. And it's one of the oldest continuously inhabited cities to this very day. This is an important city. And back then it was a doubly important city. It was about 150 miles north of Jerusalem, and it would take you about five to six days walking to go from Jerusalem to Damascus. Now, Damascus was an important trading outpost. Basically, people would come over the Fertile Crescent from Iran. They'd come from the east, from China, India, Russia, wherever they're coming from, and they're bringing their goods. They're trying to get to Jerusalem and some other ports down south, but it's been a long trek, and they'd come over the hill, and then they would see Damascus. And man, it was beautiful. Wow. It was, somebody said, like a jewel right there in the middle of this huge desert. Here was this lush city full of greenery. And look, they've got a Motel 6 where I can hook up my camel and just take a break. They've got a Hilton Express of Damascus over there. They've got a best value. Yes, let's stop. And just for a little while, water our animals, take a little bit of a break. People would stay in Damascus and they would trade stories and they would talk to each other. Now remember, Jesus said before he left, I want you to make disciples. I want you to go into all the world and tell them about me. What a better place if you want to make disciples to get the message into all the world than Damascus, where people from all over the world are coming to bring their goods. And if you can get them saved and them to become followers of Jesus, then they're going to go back to their country, to their city, and they're going to start to establish their own church, their own followers there. And so the followers of the way knew that. And they were starting to see success through a man named Ananias, who was a follower of the way. And Ananias seems to be a leader of the early church up there in Damascus. Well, the Jerusalem Council, remember they're called the Sanhedrin. They did not like to hear of Jewish people being converted to this new religion. So Saul says, send me. Look, I've been successful in squashing it here in Jerusalem and in other countries, send me. And so they're like, all right, you go. You better get up there, Saul. You do something about it. And so I can imagine they're starting to get their camels ready for the five to six day journey. They're getting their horses. They're getting all their provisions put on there for this long journey ahead of them. And Saul unrolls this drawing of the face of Ananias and maybe a bullseye, boom, a target right on top of it. And then he says, men, this is who we're going after. Men, this is who we want to get. And they all start to laugh. We're going to hurt that Ananias. We're going to bind him and bring him back here to Jerusalem to face punishment and possible death. And they're all so happy. 
So day one, they're talking about what they're going to do. And they're sitting around the campfire, high-fiving each other, so pleased with what they're going to do and how they're going to totally crush that church up there. Day two and day three, day four, they're just getting ready to establish new Jewish law up there. And they're going to wipe out all the followers of the way. And they're coming over the crest on day five, about to come into Damascus. About noon, Saul looks around and all his men, his entourage is ready to do damage when, I can imagine it to me. The light makes a noise. Boo! This light just hits their whole party. It says that the men around him started to run around. They saw the light, but they didn't hear a voice. Instead, they heard what they thought were sounds of thunder with this light hitting them. But Saul, when he saw the light, boo! It hit him full in the face. I can imagine his horse rears up because the horse hates the light and Saul falls to his knees and he looks up and he says he saw a light brighter than the sun. Now, I would not recommend looking at the sun, right? But probably some of you have tried, you know, you've tried to look at it and oh, it hurts. I can't look at it very long. Well, Saul says that this light he saw was even stronger than that. But the most amazing thing is Saul just didn't see a light. Saul saw Jesus. Jesus appeared to Saul. In that moment, Jesus appears to Saul. The other men around him, they heard some sort of voice sounding like thunder, and that's how much majesty and power Jesus has that his voice sounds like thunder. But they didn't see Jesus. They just saw this light, and they were just in chaos trying to control the horses and the animals. But Saul on his knees is staring up at this light, and he sees Jesus, and he hears the voice of Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul. And Saul responds, it's interesting. He says, what do you want, Lord? He uses the word Lord. He calls him Lord. He says, well, what do you want, Lord? And Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Later on in Acts chapter 26, Saul says even further that Jesus says to him, why are you kicking against the goads? Now, what an odd thing to say, you know? What does that mean? Why are you kicking against the goads? Well, back in Saul's day, a goad was this stick that they would put like maybe nails or, or, or glass or prickly things on the end of it. And they would take this thing. And when a, a cow didn't want to move, they would take this thing and whack, they would hit its rump and whoop, the cow would get moving. And then it became this phrase of, why are you being so resistant? Because some animals, you'd have to hit them a couple times. They'd be pushing back. They're kicking, you know, and so the animal would kick against you, hitting them with the goad, and you'd hit them again. They'd kick, they'd kick. Well, Jesus is saying, Saul, why are you kicking against the goads? Why are you resisting me? Why are you being so hard and stubborn? You know, it's interesting to me. 
Jesus had been working in the life of Saul. That's what this says to me. He says, why are you resisting me? Remember, Saul knew the Torah inside and out. He knew the Old Testament better than probably anybody there. And I think in all that time, Jesus had been working on his heart. Maybe Saul would read a passage and he'd realize, maybe that could be said of Jesus. Maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe. No, no, I can't think that. I can't think that. I can't think that. And he'd push that thought away. And Jesus says, why are you kicking against the goats? Why are you resisting me? And I just want to encourage you, you know, you don't know how God is working in somebody's life. And if God has called you to witness to somebody and you're nervous about it because, you know, they wouldn't want Christianity. Clearly their life says, hey, I'm antagonistic to anything of the gospel. You don't know how God has been working in their life. It's interesting, too, that Jesus says, why are you resisting me? And then he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now here again, has Saul actually punched Jesus? No. Did he ever slap Jesus himself? No. But Saul has been torturing his disciples. And Jesus says, when you persecute the church, you persecute me. I care about my children. I care about those who say they're following me. And when you hurt them, you hurt me. And man, isn't that an encouragement? That Jesus understands our hurts. Jesus understands what we're going through. And I think another interesting thing is this. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the goads? Why are you resisting me? And I just want to say some of you... That could be said of you. It's time to get saved. It's time to follow Jesus. You've heard the gospel message over and over and over and over again. You've heard it at camp. You've heard it at VBS. You've heard it at Sunday school. You've heard it in your church. You've heard it on the radio. You've heard it here, and you're like, well, I'm going to get saved later. Well, I'll get saved when it'll cost me a little less. Because, man, if I get saved now, I'm going to have to leave some friends. I'm going to have to stop doing some things. But I'll get saved. And Jesus is essentially saying to you, stop it. Get saved. Why are you kicking against the goads? Why? Stop resisting. Get saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in that moment... Saul becomes a follower of Jesus. In that moment, Jesus comes down and grabs Saul and says, You are mine. So, Jesus says to Saul, All right, now that you're a follower of me, you need to get up, and I need you to enter Damascus. And to wait, because I'm going to tell you what you have to do. And we're going to talk this whole time, but you need to go into Damascus, and there you'll be told what you are to do. And Saul sees Jesus for the last time, and whoop, the light goes away, and the men, and the horses are like, 
jerks. What's happening? And they're like, the light's gone. The light's gone. And Saul stands up. All right, men, we've got to go into the mass. He falls straight down. He can't see a thing. If you stared at a light that was brighter than the sun, man, that's going to make you go blind. And Saul can see absolutely nothing. I think that blindness was given to him by God because it says that the men help him up. They bring him into Damascus. And they probably thought to themselves, what do we do with Saul now? And I think God is telling Saul at this point, I need you to go to this house run by this guy named Judas. Oh, all right, you know, I can imagine Saul saying, okay, good, good, I'll go to this this house run by this guy named Judas. That sounds good, all right. Uh, well, where does he live? And God says, he lives on Straight Street. All right, says Saul, hey, take me to Judas who lives on Straight Street. All right, and so they take him down Curvy Road and Oblong Way and Triangle Drive, and eventually they get to Straight Street. By the way, I do want to say that if you look at a map of Damascus today, Straight Street is still there. It basically runs east-west straight through the city of Damascus. And it is pretty straight. Well, we got to take him to Judas. Hey, does anybody know where Judas on Straight Street lives? One of the men yells, oh, he's like four doors down. And all right, so they knock on the door. The door opens, and they're like... Are you Judas on Straight Street? And Judas is like, yeah, that's me. Do you take visitors? Do you take, yeah, we have a little bit of a place where we have lodgers. All right, well, here he is. You take him. And Judas looks at him and that's Saul. Isn't that Saul? Because Saul was a well-known figure back in this day. He would have been on the front pages of all the newspapers and you know, they probably give Judas some money and he takes him into his living room and he sits him down and Judas might say, hey, Saul, you know, you want to watch some TV? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Sorry, you're blind, blind. I'm sorry about that. And, and he's thinking, wow, I've got Saul in my living room. And here comes his wife from buying groceries there at the local Damascus Walmart, you know, comes in and bumps into Judas and Judas says, hey, look who we got in our living room. And the wife walks in the living room. Oh, it's Saul. How did he get here? And like, shh, I don't know. But look, look, his lips are moving. He's, he's talking to someone. I wonder. And it says that Saul was blind for three days. And man, I think those next three days were full of Jesus just talking to Saul, communing with Saul, and Saul talking to his new master. In the middle of that whole exchange between Jesus and Saul, it's interesting, Saul calls him Lord. I, I think he finally saw him as Jehovah, as God. And he's talking to his new master, and, and Jesus is probably comforting him, saying, hey, don't worry, I've got this. And they're talking about what he had done. Maybe Saul is asking for forgiveness of all the horrible things he has done. And they're talking and they're communing for the next three days. Well, across town, this town called Damascus, there is that leader of the Damascan church called Ananias. 
And Ananias, he'd heard about this Saul coming maybe, and maybe some of the persecution happening to his brothers in Jerusalem. And maybe he went to bed sad that night. And as he was sleeping, it says that the Lord Jesus comes to him in a vision. It's clear to Ananias that God is talking to him through this vision. And Jesus comes to Ananias and says, Rise, get up, go to Straight Street, find Judas, and find this Saul, and I need you to lay hands on him and to restore his sight. For he is praying, and he's seeing a vision that you're going to come, and you're going to lay hands on him so he can regain his sight. Get up, go to Straight Street, find Judas, and find this Saul. And I need you to lay hands on him and to restore his sight. And Ananias is like, really? You want me to do that? The Lord himself is talking to me. All right, wait, wait. Saul? Saul, are you sure? And Ananias stops there in verse 14 in Acts chapter 9 and says, I've heard the horrible things this man has done to some of my brothers and sisters there in Jerusalem. Are you sure you want me to go to him? It says that he basically takes everybody who calls upon your name, Jesus, and binds them and takes them to prison. And what if this is a trap? Are you sure you want me to do this, Jesus? Are you sure? Then Jesus says, yes, go. Don't hesitate. Man, if God calls you, If you're certain that God is calling you to do something, don't hesitate. And that's what Jesus says to him, go. Then he adds this, for he, Saul, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. Then he adds this, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I think it's interesting. He says, Saul's now one of us. And I've saved him. He's now a child of God. He's now a follower of Jesus. But he is going to suffer for the things that he's done to people, for the things he has done to those saints. He is going to suffer as he presents the gospel. Then he says, the Gentiles. At this point, most of the gospel had just gone to the Jewish people. Because the early church was full of a lot of Jewish people who saw Jesus as the Messiah. Remember, it says, to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, Saul, he is going to take that gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Through Paul's ministry, we're going to see the gospel begin to spread outside of Israel in amazing ways. But it is going to cost him. So Ananias gets up and he says, all right. This may cost my life. I just hope this isn't a big old trap. I've got to find Judas on Straight Street. So he starts to walk down Wiggly Road and Curvy Street and Triangle Drive and Oblong Way. And then, okay, here we are, Straight Street. And all right, Judas, hey, does anybody know where Judas on Straight Street lives? And the guy's like, all right, he's four doors down. Man, and that Judas guy is popular. And so he knocks on the first door, knock, 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 opens the door. Are you, is this Judas on Straight Street? 
No, this is Arnold on Straight Street. You have to go two more doors down. And they're like, all right, sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, hey, look at my muscles. I'm flexing. I know, it's really good. It's good. It's good. No, I'm sorry. And the door shuts. Two doors down. Knock, knock, knock. Hey, Judas on Straight Street. This is not Judas on Straight Street. This is Evangeline on Straight Street. You've got to go two more down. Stop bugging me. I'm eating my toast. Would you like some toast? Actually, we have a lot of... No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, I'm not hungry. And he shuts the door and he keeps knocking on doors. And finally, knock, knock, knock. Opens the door. Er, is this Judas on Straight Street? And Judas is like, yes, this is. Do you have a a guy named Saul in your living room? And Judas is like, yes, thank you. I do, I do. He's just been sitting there babbling. I've wanted to play my Xbox a couple of times, but he's right there and we can't do it anymore. His wife says, hey, we don't play the Xbox, we play the Switch. Oh, I'm sorry. I've been wanting to play my Switch for a long time, but I can't because he's sitting there on the couch. If you could get him out of my house, I would greatly appreciate that. So Ananias walks in, and it says that he enters the house. In Acts chapter 9, it says in verse 17 that he lays his hands on him and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then says in verse 18 that it felt like scales, heavy weights fell from his eyes. His eyelids opened up. He regained his sight and he looked. And the first thing he saw was the face of Ananias. That's interesting to me. The face he saw going up to Damascus was Ananias. He was going to wipe him out. But the first face he sees after being converted is his new brother in the Lord. And Ananias calls him my brother. And I can imagine they hugged. And Saul starts to weep. And Ananias starts to cry. And it says they go out. It says that he gets baptized right at that moment. Saul's been praying and fasting, and it says he eats right away and was strengthened, and he goes to his first meetings of the church there in Damascus, and maybe when he showed up, people were like, oh no, that's that guy who's destroyed all my friends and killed many of the saints in Jerusalem. And Ananias explains, it's okay. It's okay, Saul is now one of us. And Saul gets up and begins to tell about the wonders of what Jesus has done for him and the wonders of what God is doing in his life. Well, the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, they begin to hear that Saul sort of disappeared. They begin to hear that their great leader, Saul, who was being so effective at persecuting followers of Jesus, is now, he's now a follower of Jesus himself? Do you think this made them happy? Do you think they were pleased with this? 
No. They thought, we have got to kill Saul. If he's truly converted to being a follower of this Jesus, we've got to kill him quickly. Will they kill Saul? Will they snuff out his life before his ministry even begins? Well, if you come back next week, we'll find out what happens to Saul. But I just want to end with this thought. I want to encourage you. Don't give up on praying for someone to be saved. And don't quit thinking that God is done with moving in this world. You know, if you can look at Saul and say, here was a man who was devoted to everything that was against what Jesus stood for. But in the end, God's working on his life the whole time and he miraculously saves him. And sometimes you think, man, this world's so bad and so difficult and so troublesome and it's so wrong and heading in the wrong direction. But again, you can look at the life of Saul and have hope. If Jesus can miraculously change the life of a man like Saul, never give up hope that God is working in the lives of those people you are praying for and in this very world itself. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.